Vegetables are a must on a diet. I suggest carrot cake, zucchini bread, and pumpkin pie. The only way to keep your health is to eat what you don't want, drink what you don't like, and do what you rather not. Happiness is nothing more than good health and a bad memory. <laughs> There's lots of people in this world who spend so much time watching their health that they haven't the time to enjoy it. Hello and welcome to episode 403 of Under the Cull of MS, a Wellness Wednesday episode. Those quotes were from Jim Davis. Mark Twain, Albert Schweitzer, and Josh Billings. Can't remember which quotes I used from this page anymore, so I'm just throwing a few together, get through this page, make sure I get the ones I like at least in there, and then I can start out with something new down the road. All right, let's talk healthy stuff. Let's see what I got here to go through today. Clean up some more of these files that I've had packed away for years. Years and years and years. Well, it is spring, and except for this week, it feels like summer. For some reason, we went from 40 to 80s, basically overnight. Wonderful Wisconsin weather, always going up, down, all around. Never know what it's going to be. Day by day, it can change drastically. But uh, a lot of people are planting their spring vegetables right now. But a lot of people don't know, don't realize that some of the vegetables you're planting in spring would be better to plant in winter. So you might want to wait with some of them until fall, so, or at least late summer, so you can basically have some nice fresh vegetables throughout the year and just adjust your cooking accordingly. But basically... Like some vegetables can survive in the cold, even under a blanket of snow. They're known as winter vegetables, being able to withstand cold, harsh weather. Uh, these cold, hardy varieties can withstand frosty temperatures due to the higher amount of sugar that they contain. The sugar found in the water and Winter vegetables causes them to freeze at a lower point, which allows them to survive in cold weather. The process results in cold, hearty vegetables tasting sweeter in the cooler months, making winter the optimal time to harvest them. And 10 of their favorite winter vegetables are kale, which is... A cold, hearty, leafy green vegetable that contains an impressive amount of vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. Brussels sprouts are packed with nutrients and are especially rich in vitamin K. They are high in alpha 
lipoic acid and antioxidant that may benefit people with diabetes. Huh. Carrots. Yeah, that makes sense. They're in the ground anyways. So they get that extra blanket of warmth too. But carrots thrive in colder weather. They are packed with vitamin A and powerful antioxidants that may help protect against certain diseases like prostate and breast cancer. Swiss chard is very low in calories, yet packed with vitamins and minerals. It also contains antioxidants that may help reduce the risk of heart disease. Parsnips, which I'm still wanting to try some recipe with them. I haven't played around with parsnips yet. I think I may have had them in the past, but just don't know. But they're highly nutritious root vegetables that contain an impressive amount of soluble fiber, which has been linked to many health ben- health benefits. Collard greens have a slightly bitter flavor and are packed with nutrients. They are especially high in calcium and vitamin K, which are important for healthy bones. Rutabagas are root vegetables that are high in vitamin C and potassium. Increasing your potassium intake may lower blood pressure and reduce the risk of heart disease. Red cabbage is packed with nutrients, including vitamins A, C, and K. It also contains anthocyanins, which may protect against heart disease and certain cancers. Radishes are excellent sources of vitamin B and C, as well as potassium. Additionally, they contain isothiocyanates, which may have cancer-fighting abilities. And parsley is a cold-tolerated green that is rich in nutrients. It also contains the plant compound luteolin, which may promote brain health. So yeah... And plant a few of these vegetables in spring so you get have a few for the spring and summer season and then wait a month maybe plant some more wait another month and plant a few more and then that way you got some that will be still popping up in winter time that you can sneak out and grab on those nicer winter days and I like that. That was a good, a good little bit of knowledge that I got there. It's like I didn't. I know I got tons of information that I started bookmarking, Christ, twenty years ago because uh, we were living on at our farmhouse and it was awesome because our landlord would come with the farm tractor and just plow a huge giant uh, garden for us. And he'd take up like half to three quarters of it. And then we'd take up a little section and we had it nicely plowed and fertilized and good to go. And we were set for the year and I just, it was awesome having that ability. And then we lost it. So, but at that time I was, Looking into all the, I wasn't looking into winter vegetables. I was looking more into crossbreeding, how you plant certain peppers by certain other things. And 
it gives you different benefits from it. So how, how you cross pollinate different foods and stuff by planting them next to each other. Find out which ones are good being close to each other and which ones shouldn't be close to each other. Might cause some stunting of growth or something like that or change the taste completely. But Let's see. Let's look at red meat. Red meat's been controversial over the years. It's basically meat from mammals that's normally red when raw. There's lots of conflicting claims about the impact of red meat on human health. Some believe it can cause harm, while others suggest it's not associated with disease or other ill effects. Plus, there are ethical and environmental factors to consider. But let's look at, you have conventional meats, are, which that are from animals that are usually raised in concentrated, concentrated animal feeding operations, CAFOs. I think that's a nice way of saying animal concentration camps, maybe. Is that what you guys are trying to do? That's the first time I've ever heard that name. Factory farms is the name I'm used to. Fucked up factory torture farms that raise animals and kill them. They never get to see more than a few feet of most of the time, concrete, which isn't fun on the joints if you know what it does to humans. Just imagine what it does to animals, but they don't get to live more than a year, so they don't get to really probably feel the joint pain or anything like that, but I'm sure they'd like to go out in the grass and get a little sunshine instead of being stuck in a barn and being able to move a foot. The funny thing is, a lot of people laugh at you if you talk about things like this. They have no consideration for other beings. It's like they're living organisms, assholes. You have no idea what they consist of or what we consist of. I think we got some special soul that's stronger and better than every other animal out there. Any other being? No, I don't think so. There's grass-fed meat. This one comes from cows that graze on grass and forage for their food. They are not raised in a CAFO. I don't know why we don't have grass-fed chickens and grass-fed turkeys and lambs and everything else. I thought grass-fed meat did roll over to all the animals, but I guess I could be wrong. Organic meat that comes from animals that are given 100% organic feed and forage and are raised in a way that accommodates grazing and other natural behaviors. They also do not receive antibiotics or hormones. Then there's processed meats that are typically 
from conventionally raised animals and go through various processing methods such as curing or smoking. Examples include sausages, hot dogs, and bacon. And then unprocessed meats that are cured, smoked, or otherwise heavily processed are typically referred to as unprocessed. That means ground beef and sirloin are considered unprocessed. However, since all meat is processed to some extent to be fit for consumer purchase, the term unprocessed really refers to minimally processed meats. Basically, it's important to make a distinction between different kinds of meat. For example, grass-fed and organic meat may be different from factory-farmed or highly processed meats in terms of health benefits. Let's see, there's ethical and environmental conversations surrounding the meat production and consumption. Red meats like beef are central to many ethics discussions. Uh, You can engage with other important considerations. If you go to Healthline Nutrition and check out how to be an ethical omnivore, can you follow an eco-friendly diet and still eat meat? Uh, Six benefits of not eating meat, or at least less of it. And a meaty debate, can meat fit into a healthy diet? Uh, Red meat is very nutritious. It's a great source of protein, iron, vitamin B12, zinc, and other nutrients. Some studies suggest there's a link between red meat intake, heart disease, certain cancers, and death. Other studies suggest this this only applies to processed meats. As such, more research is needed. So they need to get their heads out of their ass and get that research done. But I'm sure they'll find that that's still standard. Hey, what's up? Cat came back. Disappeared for a little while. About an hour and a half. Looks all wiped out. Yawning away. Yeah, you're all tired now. Uh, To prevent the formation of potentially harmful substances when cooking red meat, gather gentler cooking methods and avoid burning your meat. You'd think if you cooked it further, it would wipe out a lot of the problem issues but red meat appears to have health benefits and potential downsides unprocessed red meat is highly nutritious and loaded with protein vitamins and minerals that support bodily functions but processed red meats such as bacon and sausage tend to be higher in salt and may contain preservatives that could have negative health effects Some observational studies link red meat consumption to higher risk of heart disease, certain cancers, and death. However, research shows that the type of red meat and how it's prepared seems to influence how it affects health. More research is needed into the effects of red meats and human health. At the end of the day, whether you should eat red meat is personal. 
red meat, especially unprocessed red meat, can be incorporated into a balanced diet. So yeah, use your judgment. Take it all into consideration. The cat's trying to purr, purr away on the microphone. Uh, let's see here. Talking about pain with multiple sclerosis. a common thing it's basically we got all kinds of different pain it's hard to really categorize it everybody's different it's snowflake disease but most patient most patients would agree that either pain or fatigue are probably the two most worst uh symptoms of MS and our gait it's and our cognitive I'd say those are the top four probably and then we hit the bladder and the bowel all that stuff uh, pain's been associated with poor physical functioning as well as reduced productivity it also interferes with daily functions Mood, con cognition, fatigue, sleep, quality of life, and overall ability to function are all affected by pain, which sucks. Just make everything else can make everything else worse. See, multiple sclerosis is an intrusive illness with a menagerie of symptoms. This intrusiveness is associated with pain in daily lives. Was an analyzed using the illness intrusiveness rating scale, the IIRS. Pain is a very common and sometimes underrecognized symptom of MS. Pain may come from damaged nerves, neuropathic, poor gait mechanics, or other structural, structural abnormality, such as arthritis or spasticity, and can aggravate uh, other symptoms such as fatigue. There are many effective pharmacological and non-pharmacological treatments for pain specific to each type and it's like nowadays it's getting so hard because the doctors had to be jackasses that handed out opioids like they were candy and so now we got this pain management group that's supposed to help set us up with any type of pain management and you would think they'd be more knowledgeable than the regular doctors with pain issues and what I'm finding is they're, it's almost like they're looking for addicts because of the opioid pandemic and all that crap. And I mean, it, it's totally understandable back in the day. I mean, people would come in and request opioids for 
anything and everything. And then they'd sit there and try and get extra opioids. They'd start doubling, tripling, quadrupling their medications and running out. And then people started selling their opioids because you can sit there and get paid for by your insurance, go to a bar or wherever, sell them for like 10 bucks a pill. So people were doing that and then they didn't have any for themselves. So they tried to get more. They just ruined the whole system with the crappy ass drugs. I never cared for any opioids. I've I've been put on every one of them that I can think of over the years. It's like Loritab, Darvacet, Oxycontin, Oxycodone. I mean, the ones that the athletes were addicted to over the years and all that. I can't think of all the different names right now, but I've been on probably every one of them. Uh, never liked the feel or the effect that came with them. It's like they really didn't do shit for the pain. They more took your, kind of tried to take your mind off the pain by getting you so fucked up you didn't didn't give a shit. It's like, so messed with your head and your body, made your head and body feel all light and goofy, but yet didn't do shit for the actual issues I had it, at least. So, not a big fan of those. Uh, There's a high prevalence of pain in MS, and it comes in a variety of types. There's two main types of pain. Muscular skeletal and neuropathic. Muscular skeletal pain comes from spasticity and joint discomfort. Uh, Gait issues from weakness can develop secondary pain associated with you, with it. That's what I'm dealing with now when I'm using my cane. My left side lower back is locking up now and the sciatic is reawakening and it's been... Real bad this week. I've been having a pretty pretty messed up week this week with sciatica issues acting up. Leg issues getting really bad again. The foot pains at that amped up to that point where it's so sensitive you don't even want to touch them to the ground. Uh And then I've been trying to take the walker every day up up the hill. Go sit up the hill for a little while, come on back. Sometimes do it a couple times a day. Just to try and get that mobility in. And since I've been doing that, now my sciatica back pain goes all the way across the lower back. Because I just got that slight little bit of hunch overness. And that just aggravates that area. And then with the cane being slightly tilted to the right and walking funny, that's why it's acting up in there on the left side. So 
That's not good. Uh, neuropathic pain comes from the damage occurring in the central nervous system. The pathways are affected by MS and can send a message of pain everywhere. Or well, even when there is no pain, it'll still send pain messages. And you'll feel it. And you're not getting stabbed by a knife, but you can't tell me it feels any different than the feeling I get when I feel like I'm being stabbed by a knife or when I'm being cut by glass or I'm being cut by a razor blade or getting a bone crushed or it's like those pains I feel, I guarantee don't feel any different when they're being done in real life or they're being done in the neuropathic uh, pretend world, I guess you'd call it. Uh, pretend pains that frickin' hurt still. People can experience burning, searing, tearing, tingling, cutting, stabbing, and there's just all kinds of pain that is intermittent or is relentless and the patient lives with it 24 7 so they got lots of pains that never go away or they mellow out to an extent of acceptableness and forgetfulness and then they amp up a little bit but uh, when you think about them that's like yeah it's there it's just not bugging me as much as used to a lot of pain i don't know for me I learned to accept a lot of pain. Uh, I've, you could say multiple sclerosis has made me go from a person that was sensitive to pain to a person that seeks out pain now. <laughs> it's like when I have a new pain come, it's like, yes, it's relief from the other pain but then the new pain gets so annoying i'm like okay i want to go back to the other pains being the annoying pains because i was used to those but then you haven't had them as bad for a while when they do get bad then it's like oh man it's like i don't want to deal with this again <laughs> it's like, but yeah after having the thing repetitively for weeks on end and stuff you can eventually Accept the pain, live with the pain. Sorry, I'm blowing cat hair off my microphone. <laughs> it's like my hand's completely covered in it. The microphone's covered in it. But yeah, you're when you deal with pain continuously and all kinds of different pains, it's just you gradually learn to just accept that, hey, this is my life. This is my punishment. I don't know what the hell I did. But whatever I did, it was really messed up because I'm getting punished really bad for <laughs> whatever it was. And there's days where you just give up from the pain you're done with it you just want to fall face first on the ground 
and just melt into the ground and just basically like as if you were dead and decaying into the ground just let your flesh melt off the bones let the bones grind into the earth and just it's just there's nothing you can do about the pain but you're so sick and tired of the constant pains that you're just ready to give up sadly i hear hear people almost almost every day in the ms groups that are just that's it i'm done with it i just don't don't want to deal with it anymore but you have to yeah fight through it yeah accept it learn to live with it find ways to make it less severe i have no answers for anybody for it and I try medications, I try salves, I try oils, I try ointments, I try CBDs, THC, uh, creams, patches, I mean, alcohol, <laughs> drugs, all that stuff. Nothing really satisfies that pain. It's like... So it's like I've gotten to the point where right now I got to start taking some of my stuff. But I just stopped a lot of things just because I'm just so tired of filling my body full of shit and not getting no results. But I'm running out of time at this half hour segment, so I'm going to stop it here. And then I will get back to you with the second half right after this. All right, let's get back to the pain portion of the show. <laughs> There's also acute pain syndrome when the pain is intermittent, but comes on with extreme intensity, which fucking sucks. You can feel something's just sitting there ready to awaken, and when that, it awakens, oh yeah, it lets you know. <laughs> uh, pain can increase at night when other sensations are reduced. Which makes sense. I mean, the longer you go through the day, the tighter things get, the more painful things get, more irritating they get. And then if you can actually fall asleep and get some rest, you can actually, your body can do some nighttime healing and possibly mellow those pains a little bit, hopefully. But as soon as you wake up, it's on your mind and you can reawaken stuff instantly just by a tiny movement or, well, like my knee pain. I got, I'm screwed on my right knee pain because I sleep on my right side. So the cat tucks in against my feet and my legs, which has been a good thing because my restless leg syndrome, I'm aware of him now and I got where the cat and dog when we had them both sleeping in the bed and my restless leg syndrome mellowed out quite a bit back then uh and now it's i got it under control to the point that i can be aware enough to kind of keep it at a limited amount of movement so I'm not pissing the cat off too much. 
but yet it affects my sleep because right? I'm not, if I go into deep sleep, then the legs will get going because I'm not awake enough to control them. But uh, let's see. Pain is a challenge to our lives. Uh, it's a major disruptor in everyday life, normal relationships, intimacy, when someone is experience high, experiencing high levels of pain, it's difficult to engage in those type of activities. Uh, some things patients describe are things like nails going through the bottoms of your feet when you walk, or hot liquid running down your leg. Uh, Simple activities such as talking, eating, or even even a slight breeze on the face can cause a disruption in nerves and prompt severe pain for a person living with MS. It's so weird how the altered sensations can act up. It's just, it's crazy. It can make a smooth surface, surface feel like nails or sandpaper. Uh, when pathways are disrupted, we misinterpret the feeling that should happen there is more pain than usual so when we need to settle down so we need to settle down that extra sensation somehow and they a lot of times they'll use non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs NSAIDs and SAIDSs such as Advil, are not effective for neuropathic pain. Uh, but people will try, you'll start out with the basics, uh, the heating pads, the ice packs, the pain relievers, the aspirins, and all that crap. And then eventually uh, contact the doctor and say, I can't deal with this pain no more. And, then he can possibly offer drugs that are targeted to settle down overactive nerve impulses like anti-seizure drugs can sometimes be effective. Uh, they help settle down the pathways and reduce the intensity, intensity of the pain so it becomes more manageable. Uh, but you also get side effects with all the pain medications. Uh, Like this person talks about the side effects of all the meds for their nerve pain have been too much for them to handle. They're confused, completely, completely drugged out, um, had a withdrawal with Lyrica and missing work. And it's just, it's easier to, like they said, it's just easier to bear with the pain, deal with the pain than it is to deal with the side effects from the drugs that you're using to try and mellow out or prevent the pain. It's like (laughs) some people feel meditation and other various types of intervention can be helpful. Uh, Mindful meditation and cognitive behavioral therapy can help people manage certain pains. Uh, I meditate all the time when I'm in pain. It's just my way of 
disappearing from the environment in a room with other people, just close my eyes, throw a blank, my blanket over my head and just sit there meditating away, trying to focus on the pain, tell the pain to go away. Just putting my mind on that pain and trying to breathe in the good and breathe out the bad Try and work that pain out mentally. Or at least get it to mellow out some. Get it to a point that I can deal with others. But (laughs) many times don't want to. This person had gut issue pain. For many years, diet, exercise, and meds weren't helping. And then all the issues related with it amped up their MS. And they were forced to go on three-day bouts of steroids, which caused more belly pain. They loved going that steroid route, which I try and stay away from because I know all the side effects and all the downfalls of long-term use. So I'm trying not to use it until I'm in in that point of pain where it's just I'm at my ends my wits end then I'll then I'll take the steroids but until then I will fight it out as long as I can and it's a lot of times if you go into your ER they'll put you on steroids too once they find out that it's nothing related to your heart or anything else and everything else is failing then they'll just go steroid route or if you want to be like the one doctor for two days gave me a huge injection of morphine every half hour not doctor nurse for two days and they had no answers for my my issues, my pains, my doctor at the time was the jackass that was focusing on heart and nothing else would not accept multiple sclerosis as an answer. And just they decided nothing else that they could do was working or was giving them answers. So they're like, we're just going to pump this poor bastard full of morphine every half hour. I wasn't really feeling it and drugs don't affect me like they do other people. It's different when you have multiple sclerosis. Sometimes things take, sometimes they don't do shit that they, things that would work for the average person. Uh, I believe, I believe I can fly. I got something here. Springtime, all kinds of things are coming in the house. Yeah, check to see if the cat closed the door after he came in. Feeling he might have left it open. On a hot day, to, like today, we're going to have a lot of wasps and stuff waking up, and I don't want that all over the house. But let's see. This is MS, or it looks like under the surface. 
It's easy to look up common MS symptoms on the internet or read about diagnosis process or treatment options. It's much more difficult to capture the true impact of MS for those who live with the condition. I know, I cannot find a good way to explain it. Because everything you say, people are like, oh yeah, I've got that. It's like, no, I had your version of it. Trust me. (laughs) I've had a lot of shit jobs in my life, so I've experienced I'd work full-time doing construction, machinery work, auto body work, yeah, worked wrenching, whatever. I mean, it, all my jobs, moving, all that stuff were all hard, heavily physical jobs. And then I, the majority of the time, I'd always have a secondary job also. And I was working full-time, running bars many places, or working in restaurants or whatever after a full day of a heavily physical type of job. And one of these days we're going to go through my job list, what I've all done over the years. I know I'll forget most of them, but (laughs) I've had quite a few. So it'll be interesting doing a little look back of that, of that one day. But, uh, I lost where I was. I think this is it. To hear from real people with MS and their caregivers, uh, they did a survey uh, talking about people with careers, career changing, losing your career, stopping your career, trying to adapt to your career, seeing if your uh, work environment accepts your condition and if they'll work with you and help you stay with them and just find a better position that works better for you. And that way you're still highly productive, but yet you can uh, physically accept and deal with your condition, depending on how far along you are and where your condition has progressed. You can't worry about the unknown. You can't worry about progression. You can't, I mean, every day is unpredictable. It's impossible to plan ahead. I go day by day. It irritates me when people tell me, let's do this in a week. It's like, I'll make plans now. I haven't had to cancel anything in a long time, thankfully. But I'll make plans with people. But uh, very limited plans. Because I'd rather just wake up and see what my day has to offer each day. And your day can start out where you're physically ready to get some things done. And then two hours later, you're done for the day. That can happen. Or you can do your first thing of the day and your body's done for the rest of the day. And it's just. You can get up and take a shower and be done for the rest of the day. And I can be done halfway through a shower. <laughs> My mind, I mean, you have those moments where you're taking a shower. Same routine, 50-some years. And you go in there and it's like, all of a sudden, 
you're so fatigued, so burnt out, so dealing with so much pain and stuff, your body just says forgets completely how to how to shower, how to do your routine, how to wash your hair, how to it's like, am I supposed to use soap? Did I use soap? Have I washed my hair yet? It's like it's just I've face planted shower walls. I've collapsed in the shower. I just given up on a shower halfway through still got soap in my hair it's like I can't I gotta stop it's like it's just ridiculous you never know what that day has to offer so look at it in that aspect uh relapses you gotta watch out everything gets worse during a relapse existing symptoms can get worse or new ones can appear out of the blue Fear of future relapses are a major source of concern for many with MS, but that's bad too, because if you worry about stuff, stress and anxiety will cause issues to amp up and will cause relapse to happen more often and stuff like that. So it's like, you don't want to stress your body out worrying about those type of things. Intimate, intimate issues can be very stressful on a relationship. Between fatigue, depression, mood changes, numbness, pain, all that can have a huge impact on uh, your intimacy and sex life. So you gotta just basically talk to your significant other and work things out and try and find a happy medium. Say, you can maybe plan a day of the week or whatever that you want to have like a date night or something like that. But just sit there and say, it might not happen sometimes. <laughs> it might be like just dealing with too much stuff to even think about a date night or going out or doing anything, or you can adapt it. And instead of going out, you had plans to go out. We'll change it up, stay in order in, wrap up in a blanket and with your significant other and watch a movie and just cuddle up. (laughs) Something happens, it happens. If it doesn't, oh well. But uh, you want to be in a relationship where you you have that understanding that, hey, I got problems. (laughs) Things may or may not work at all times and we just got to find ways to work around it. If you're a nymphomaniac and you can't live with that, and that's going to screw you up and you're going to go screw other people because you're not getting enough loving at home. Well, then maybe that relationship isn't meant to be that relationship should be ended and you should look for someone that is more adaptable to your circumstances and who knows they could end up with a disease a year or two later that it's just like yours and then they'll understand and see what it's like and then they'll have, you'll have to d- adapt to that but i'm guessing that will be more likely to adapt to it than they will because a lot of them will just leave us and give up on the relationship caregiving can be stressful uh, your caregiver 
hopefully is caring and understands and works with you. Uh, some caregivers get too stressed out and then that stress links in with your stress and cause more issues. And some caregivers don't accept what we're going through and make things worse that way. But finding a good caregiver is key if you need a caregiver. And looking into caregiving environments, I mean, I'm, I have no idea where I'd end up if something happened to me. It's like my buddy in Miami, Milwaukee is like, 15 years younger than me he ended up in a home where I have no idea where and just disappeared off the face of the earth and I have no idea what happened when he collapsed and ended up bedridden and I don't know if he ever got out of there or anything just he's not anywhere to be found anymore and it's like oh what the hell happened it's like and there's an example of a person one day trying to find wheelchair access to get into a football game. He had problems with the, the stadium with foot, with access and all that. They changed up some rules or some shit. And then he finally got to go to a game. And then a couple weeks later, he's bedridden. It's like, what the hell happened? It's like, you never know. Anything can happen. And our body parts can just quit working. And then <laughs> we're strapped to a bed and hooked up to bags and wires and everything else. And basically feel like guinea pigs in a laboratory. But yeah, lots of things from the environment can affect us with our multiple sclerosis. Uh, let's see, you got a little time yet. Some food. Some more food talk. Let's see what they got here. Uh, talking about obesity has continued to grow in the United States. Uh, oh, yeah, we know that. Uh, Food always can soothe sadness, <laughs> people believe. It's nothing like chocolate to mend a broken heart or ice cream or stuff like that. It can all make things worse for you in the long run. But it's best to adapt, build an environment that you can live with, find foods that you enjoy that actually don't affect you in a negative way. And you like chocolate? Advance to dark chocolate. Try and get something that's closer to 70% cocoa or higher cacao or cocoa. However you want to say it. And it's just, it's going to be a long time fight. I mean, occasionally, once in a while, have that piece of cake if you want it or something like that. But don't make it an everyday thing. I mean, listen to your body. You'd be amazed if you, uh, and this is coming from a fat guy, <laughs> so I can't say shit. But when I do my sugar flushes and stuff, I try it at least twice a year. 
do a big cleanup on my system, whether it's a cleanse or a sugar flush or something. At least try and get some of the crap out of my body because I know I ain't going to be able to make it long term because as long as I feel like shit, I ain't got the energy to... It's like I cook for three people every day. I don't have the ability anymore to make meals for each person individually. We all got to deal with what I make. And when you're dealing with people of different ages, levels, conditions, you got to find stuff they like and then you got to adapt to it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a chore. It's a lot of work. It's, but, those little times that you do eat differently or try different things. Just keep a journal. Write the things down that didn't harm your body, didn't make you feel like crap. And then write down the ones that did. Have like a journal where the front half is the good part. And the back half of the book is the things that you have problems with. That way you can keep track, try and eliminate the things that cause the problem from your household. That way if they're not there, you're not using them to cook with. So that way you adapt your recipes. I mean, I've changed a lot of recipes over the years and made them better, healthier, more adaptable to my life, to my body. I still have days where I'll feel like complete and utter shit and I'll know that it's from something I had the day before. But stubbornly, I haven't been writing it down and keeping track of stuff good lately. I just, since I got on this maven-clad journey, I've been going a whole different route and just trying to adapt other things instead of focusing on that part of it right now. But I do have a good uh, good journalized thing in my podcast. I've been trying to bring in a lot of things that I want to keep on record into my podcast so that way I can relook back down down the road at certain items. But uh, let's talk one last thing. Let's talk about the MS hug again. I know we talked about it the other day, but it's a hard to explain symptom that affects people with MS who experience a painful tightening around our torso or other parts of the body. Uh, this Brooke Pelzinski. Huh. Sorry, I'm looking at this. It's like, I know that name. Uh, I believe she might be part of my, one of my groups that I'm in. But it's like, <laughs> she does cartoons and she's got her little hug cartoons. And it's like, I like this one where a guy's coming up to hug her and she's like, no, that's all right. I'm already being hugged. <laughs> 
Hey, man, I'm MS. I'll make sure to hug your girl even harder than you. I hug her chest so tight, she even loses her breath. <laughs> it's like, I love that little, that little cartoon she did. Uh, but that's how it is. And it's like, <laughs> when you hear, when you live with MS for a certain period of time, when you hear someone that wants to come up and give you a hug, we have a new cons- a new uh, respect, a new acceptance, a new new look at what a hug is from other people. <laughs> and it's like when I hear the word hug, I get defensive. <laughs> like, I don't think of it as a good thing at all. It's I've had them a lot. The past couple of weeks again, they've been amping up. I don't know. I think it's because of this damn weather change. Because we've gone from 30 to 70 to 40 to 80 to 30s to 50s to now today and the next five five days or so, we're looking at 80s to 90s and it's the beginning of May. <laughs> it should still be 60s. 60s and 70s is what we should be dealing with over the next month. We should not be dealing with 80s and 90s. So, so my body's like, okay, what the hell is going on here? And it's like, I'm cold one day, I'm hot the next. And I'm like, one minute I'm freezing, one minute I'm sweating. It's the constant temperature change, I think, is setting off my hugs like crazy because they have been been very prevalent in these past couple weeks. And I am sick of them. They can go away. <laughs> but there's not much I can really do about it. So, yeah. The MS hug, a nice little crushing display of pain that we get to deal with. And I have yet to find any good relief with it. That's another one where I'll many times go under the blanket into meditation state, wrap up with an ice pack usually or something like that. I get that big body ice pack. And I know this week I should get dig out my ice vest and get the ice make sure I got all my ice packs frozen so I can fill my vest and wear that when I go outside but yeah we'll see what happens but I am out of time so be good to yourself be good to everybody else put the monster in the box and toss them in the river uh rate review tell a friend subscribe Send questions and comments to kevintheduckpool at gmail.com. Check out Crimson Cull Comic Club under the cull and keep following under cull by mass. And we'll get back to you again soon. Be good. <laughs>